What's up, everybody? Welcome, Simply Cyber community, to Simply Cyber Live. We have an excellent episode for you today. Many of you know our guest, Neil Bridges, the host and content creator over at Cyber Insecurity and a good uh, friend of mine. And I'm really, really happy that he's on. Neil and I always uh, have, we have a lot of things that we agree on and we have several things that we have differing opinions, differing philosophies on. And I'm sure we're gonna get into all of that today. So special thanks to everybody who is here live. If you wanna ask Neil questions, ask me questions as the, as the debate, as the dispute gets going, you know what to do. Drop a question in chat with a cue at the beginning so I know it's for us. We will bring them on. We're going to have a lively session. It's a little bit different than what we normally do. This conversation can go anywhere. And I'm super, super pumped. So without further ado, let's get Neil up on stage. Hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. I noticed that you you choked a little bit on the my good friend part of that intro. I know that I'm glad I paid you enough money to where it didn't come out too painful well, as you said it. I mean, you, you you did email me. You did email me and told me what to say as far as like what our friendship is. So I, I wanted yeah. to make sure I, I said it just right. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. How you doing, yeah. buddy? I'm I'm doing good, man. Simply Cyber is is doing excellent. We've got a you know just a great community. We're building something really special here, and uh, we've got the morning uh, threat briefings that yeah. are being well received. So we're 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 taking it one step. At I time. love it. I love it. I see those things come across, and I and I tip my hat to you every morning. I'm like, good freaking job, good freaking job, dude. I, I can't. I want to. I want to officially say it. I know we give each other crap, but I'm super proud of you for doing those threat briefs, and I'm super proud that that it's working out and that everybody's getting a ton of value out of it. So, mm -hmm. dude, good on you, man. Well, thank you very much, and I can guarantee you with absolute certainty, if you told 20 year old Jerry. Hey, guess what? You're going to get up at 8 a.m. Well, not even 8 a.m. You're going to get up at 7 a.m. And you're going to be uh, lecturing for 30 minutes at 8 a.m. every day. 20-year-old Jerry would be like, hard pass. Hard pass. I'm good. I'll pass. Yeah, hard pass. Hard pass. I'm good. So, so, okay. So, Neil, a lot of people know you. But for those who don't, uh, Neil is the chief content creator at an excellent cybersecurity-focused uh, YouTube channel called Cyber Insecurity. But you may have known him when he was on Twitch and he recently switched to YouTube. So, so Neil, I'm, I, you know, just for, to start the conversation off, like why did you make that transition? Uh, and really more importantly, how are things going on YouTube? Uh, no, I, I, it's awesome. And, and we've been, we've been on YouTube now, I think for, uh, I think we're about six months or so now that we've, we've been over on YouTube. Um, it's, it's a long and arduous story and it's kind of, it's actually kind of personal to me. Um, uh, you know, there's Twitch is always, um, Twitch has always been really, really keen on the, the gamer culture. And that was one of the reasons we originally started streaming on Twitch was we wanted to try to reach people who were at various stages of their career. Oftentimes, and you know this, uh, folks in our industry focus too hard on the C-suite and on, on CISOs and trying to get CISO eyes on on content. And, and you know, I, I share a passion with you in terms of trying to bring people into this industry and keep them educated and keep them interested in cyber. And I realized that if I wanted to reach folks like that, um, I needed to be on a platform where where I could find them. And so it was natural for me to kind of pick Twitch as a platform to try to reach, you know, reach that demographic. And, and we, were, we were crushing it. We were doing really good. We, we achieved partner status in, in less than six months and, um, you know, which is really unheard of in the science and technology catalog. Um, we were we were very frequently the, the number one, number two stream over on Twitch in science and technology. And um, and then uh, my, my son came to visit me. 
and he's obviously he's 11 and he's super proud of his dad who's a streamer um and uh um he's like because he, he puts me up there with folks like ninja and muselk and you know mr beast and those guys I was like those guys are streamers and my dad's a streamer so therefore he's cool because he's a streamer yes. right nice. <laughs> i can't wait for my kids to get there yeah <laughs> yeah you know, cool yeah 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 and so um but uh uh, then we were watching, we, we were in the, in the other room and, you know, he was like, Hey, can we watch, you know, something on Twitch and, um, uh, pulled up Twitch and right on the front blast page of Twitch was, um, some, some questionable content. Mm. And my 11 year old son was like, dad, what's that? And I was kind of like, Ooh, you know, for a stream that's trying to be professional for a stream that's trying to lure you know companies to talk to the younger audience for you know we do a ton of outreach with folks like INE, like vmware carbon black like attack iq you know companies like that we did not necessarily want to have our brand associated mm -hmm. with some of the questionable content that was coming up on twitch and then um uh a couple months later after that um you know there was a a, a virtual walkout on uh twitch because there was a lot of uh, hate rating. One of the things that we would do frequently as a, as a streaming community is we would go find other um, streamers who were up and coming in the science and technology catalog who were doing cybersecurity content, and we would take our entire audience, we'd go rate them, similar to what you and I do you know, with the Simply, Simply Cyber to, to Cyber and Security in the morning. And it was, that was mm -hmm. a staple for what we would do on Cyber and Security. Well, there were other folks who were doing it for not good reasons. They were hate rating other streamers who were marginalized, LGBTQ, you know, things like that. And there was a staged walkout, a virtual walkout on, on September 1st, I think it was. And Twitch basically was not, per, you know, instituting any controls or anything like that to try to reduce the amount of, of hate rating that was going on. And even now, there's still a ton of hate rating that goes on in Twitch. And so I think that for us, that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. We were like, we need to get away from, we're a very mm -hmm. non-toxic community. We promote non-toxicity. We encourage folks to ask questions no matter what level of, of, question it is there is no stupid question mantra and we, we don't believe in a try harder mentality and we just felt like the culture over on twitch didn't align with with our culture on cyber and security and so we we you know that i want to i want to give a huge shout out i know a lot of my mods are in chat um you know folks like bsec um um you know chris the joshes you know tons of my folks that 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 you know for my mod team we all sat down and we had a month-long plan for how we were going to transition um from from twitch to youtube and and my team crushed it um, we couldn't have made the transition successfully if it wasn't for my mod team. And so, um, you know, I want to give a huge shout out to, to everybody from my mod team and, and as well as everybody from the viewership that, that kind of, you know, went with us as we made that transition. And so we haven't been happier since. Yeah. And, you know, with Google buying YouTube and, and like, just, I, I really feel like YouTube, you know, it's always been great for content and, and they're starting to invest heavily into the gaming space, which is not what you and I operate, but it's an indicator of investment. And when you think of how businesses operate, if they're investing heavily into the platform, they have plans for it. Right. And the gaming one is just, in my opinion, it's the easiest one to build up and get a huge foundation base. Yep. And then they can stack on top of it with business and education uh, and music. A lot of musicians playing on YouTube and stuff like that. There's a, there's a creator I follow Harris Heller. I think I, I know, oh, yeah. you know who, you know, Harris and, and um, you know, I think he's a good indicator as to some of the changes that you're going to see in the streaming kind of model in the industry. And he was talking mm -hmm. about, you know, his views on how he thinks that having some of these big creators like Tim, the tat man and, and Valkyrie and some of these other big creators coming over to, um, to, to YouTube are really going to help 
change the streaming game. And so I'm super excited to see how that changes streaming over on YouTube, honestly. Yeah. A lot of people were asking before the stream came on because they knew you were coming on. Um, and basis just captured it perfectly. You know, wh where are you taking cyber insecurity? Um, that's a really good question. Um, if you if you've watched cyber insecurity, we've we've experimented with a lot of things. Um, you know, one of the things that um, as a content creator and you know this, right? But but for folks who are listening, right, there's always this challenge as a content creator is how do we how do we make new content? How do we do content that's engaging? How do we do it so it's beneficial? How do we do it so it's giving back to the community? One of the one of my personal pet peeves is I hate I hate doing content that everybody else is doing, right? I will never ride somebody else's coattail on content success. I you see this when it comes to doing things like the try hack me rooms or the hacked box rooms. Like I just I refuse to do that because that's just not a I, I refuse to be a copycat in that in that way. I love that mm -hmm. you're doing the threat. I love that you're doing the threat and tell things in the morning. I, mm -hmm. I would love to contribute to that. I'd love to do my own, but I'm not going to copycat out of respect for you. And because I think you're crushing it and I don't, I don't see a need to have another one of those out there. Mm -hmm. And so the team, I can tell you that if you're on our discord, you'll oftentimes see the mod team kind of powwowed around in our control room. That's us trying to brainstorm and figure out new ways that we can, we can bring content to the community. And so I'll, I'll tell you a couple things. We, um, we have always been about, um, I mentioned the raids when we talk about helping small streamers who are trying to get visible, right? You know, as well as I do, we've been at this game for, you've been at it for longer than I have. You've been at it for over, over almost two years now. I think I've been at o it for over, about, over two years. Over yeah. two years. Two, yeah. It was two years, uh, in, in, uh, January. Yeah. 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 And, and I've been at it for probably about 18 months, so a little bit less than, than you have. And it's hard to grow. It's hard to get your, your name and your voice out there. And so one of the things that I've very much done is I've let my platform out um, to up and coming uh, up and coming streamers. Right. So we've got Brett Eskridge, also known as Doc Jade, if you've ever seen him around in, in, uh, in Discord. Um, every Tuesday, he's doing a Python study group. You know, he used to be a professor at a university. He's got a class out there on uh, Linux 101 that he wrote. He's now doing Thread Intel for, for a big name company. And he wanted to give back to the community by doing a Python study course for the next 12 weeks. And so we brought him on and he's got a Tuesday time slot where he's doing a Python study course every, uh, you know, every Tuesday for the next 12 weeks. We've got Brandon Krieger who comes on uh, Wednesday. He was a salesperson who is now an associate director of incident response crushing, crushing his goals of trying to break into cybersecurity um, every Wednesday, you know, to, to kind of give his perspective as he grows up and grows through um the uh the, the 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 cyber industry we've got uh josh mason who is going to start doing a java and josh on on thursday morning similar to our friday morning amas that we do so josh mason's getting out there jack sec it guy does his tipsy cyber friday night and so mm -hmm. we're constantly trying to find streamers who are interested in getting their name out there who produce good content because i don't i don't believe that i'm the only one that has good ideas obviously there's at least two of us there's you and i but there's obviously a ton of other people out there that have yeah. good ideas too and so i want to make sure that that as as cyber insecurity as a team and as a community is growing we're bringing folks like that up and we're saying hey there are other awesome people in the community these people have great ideas they have great content and you should look at them as well and so um, i think that that's kind of something you're going to continue to see us do from a channel perspective is continue to try to give platforms to other streamers mm -hmm. um you know to 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 have them produce awesome content um you know i think we're continuously looking um we're, we're trying to we're trying to do some innovative stuff. Obviously, you and I are both working with Jessica over at Cyber Games, and I mm -hmm. think um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this or not. So this may be cyber secrets for those who are listening. Um, uh, 
cyber security is going to be the official outlet for the the games that they're doing on i think it's march march 19th i think is the next round of games that they're doing oh that's fantastic yeah and so so cyber security has been picked up to kind of be the broadcasting outlet for those for those cyber games on march 19th and so we're looking for a lot of those um, those opportunities to partner with other organizations. Um, we're working closely with some of our partners in the stream, like VMware Carbon Black, to bring a competitive threat hunting um, type of, of exercise into the stream. And so I think that what you're going to continue to see, um, and I saw BSEC say it, I'll say this last thing and I'll turn it back over to you because I realize I'm monolo monologuing a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we do have a content suggestions uh, you know, uh, uh, hashtag inside of our Discord. And I can unequivocally tell you that um, we parse through that content suggestion all the time. And we're constantly looking and trying to evaluate the feasibility of solving those content suggestions. And so I consider us a very, very community driven, um, you know, in terms of how we do our content, because I would rather produce content that you all want to see mm -hmm. that that I can do in a unique way. And of course, NFTs. And then I'll, I'll stop there and I'll pause it and send it back over to you. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm a hundred percent right there with you, man. As far as um, making it a community, making it, um, you know, like when I originally, it's funny because when I originally started Simply Cyber, I had it in my head, like I know what everybody wants to know, and I just started making videos. And then, you know, you get the comments and stuff, and and you when you're when you're a smaller channel, you're trying to like you want to like build up quickly, and then you know, so. And I was like, well, this isn't really resonating. And then I asked the community and it really turned into like, how do I break into cybersecurity? And that's kind of where I focused for like a good six to 12 months. And I still still talk about it, but I've, I've branched out. But it's interesting if you if you aren't willing to ask what are people wanting to know, if you are trying to tell them what you think they want to know, you're, you're missing the mark altogether and you're not doing yourself uh, any service. You're not doing the community any service. Um, so I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, I, I do it slightly different in the simply cyber community, uh, but we do something akin to that, especially like when guests are coming on, I'll definitely fire it up and say, Hey, yeah. we're talking GRC with Eric and McDuffie. What kind of GRC yeah. questions do you have? And you get so much better, richer, wider reaching yeah. content than just doing that. So, so switching gears here, Alexis uh, dropped a question here, and I, I put a, a poll on LinkedIn earlier today, mm. but just to kick the question off. So I got my ISACA uh, renewals in the mail today, mm -hmm. right? And I've been CISA system for like 10 years or something, CISP since 09. Like yeah. I've, I've got certs, but I also have a PhD and I've worked in the industry for 17 years. So I, I, I do this every time they come in. I usually can get my employer to pay it, but I don't even know if I even want to go through the effort of, of, of doing that. What are your thoughts on certification renewals? Because a lot of people don't know who are on the outside looking at getting a yeah. cert that, that they're going to help. You, yeah, you have to continuously get um, uh, education credits to prove that you're still practicing, but there's always like a fee, like a month, like a, like a $200 mm -hmm. annual fee basically per organization. So ISACA, ISC yeah. squared, CompTIA, OSCP or offensive security or whatever. Well, okay. So now I've, I've started to flip out and froth at the mouth. Yeah. Tell, yeah. Me, tell me, Neil, what, what are your thoughts about certifications around the renewal process? Do you, do you need to take your rabies shot for, for that one? That one looked ah. a little, uh, you, <laughs> Hey, real quick, just cause I saw you flashed across the screen. It looked like, uh, uh, my son might be watching. And so, uh, Connor, uh, thanks for, uh, for, for checking me out, buddy. And, uh, I miss you, dude. Can't wait to see you. Um, 
so I I'm very bearish on certs, right? I and, and this is this is ironic. I say this, and 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 this is by no means a reflection of 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 Ione or my stance at Ione whatsoever. Um, this is Neil's personal opinion in, in in terms of how I feel about certs, right? I have certs hanging out over here on the shelf. I've got a couple of GX certs hanging out that I've never renewed. I've never renewed, right? Um, I I don't. It's hard, right? It's hard. The the cert game is very very overplayed in cyber. I was actually having a conversation with um with a, a highly respected uh a PE company, private equity company on Monday, um and and we were talking about you know how certs are overplayed, especially in cyber. Literally anybody can start a cert today. If you're listening, if you hear my voice right now, you can go out there and you can create the cert of awesomeness, and it has the same amount of credibility in the industry as almost every other cert. Because all you have to do is get a social following to admit that your cert is awesome. And guess what? Your cert is awesome. Right? And, and I think that that's the problem that we have with certs is that we've allowed the social, um, the, the social stigma around certs to determine their value. And it almost becomes a little bit of FOMO. Like you're like, oh, gosh, if I let this cert expire, am I not smart enough anymore? Like did all your CISP knowledge go away because you didn't renew your CISP cert, mm -hmm. right? And so, like, it's it, you're paying a company a maintenance fee to prove that you still have your CISP, but you didn't take any new course content. You didn't actually retake the test. You didn't actually do anything to actually get the updated knowledge. Mm -hmm. But you're paying the company a maintenance fee to basically give you credibility that you're still a CISP. And to me, I find that fundamentally flawed. I find that I find that predatory and I find it flawed as a business practice to to be able to say, you know, that 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 you're doing that. And so are certs worth it to get and and have renewed? I think certs are worth getting. And 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 let me let me quantify that when I say that, right? I think certs are a trophy on a trophy case, right? I think that if you go through a 6-week course or you take 500 hours worth of content and you you absorb that content you know it. I think the passing of a cert or the passing of a test is like finishing the finish line at a race, but that doesn't mean that you didn't run in the race, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's the problem that I have with certs. So I think people should get, I think people should get certs if it means something to them. It's just like the conversation you and I had over your PhD when we've had Joel Fulton on the stream over your PhD, it was a personal thing for you. It meant something personal to you. And I think that that's the reason why people should chase certs but you'll always hear me say my number one statement that I say is chase knowledge, not certs. And, and so like I, I don't subscribe to cert, the, the cert chasing and I don't subscribe to the cert renewal process. Yeah. And I'm 100 percent with you. And we see some comments in chat that the certs are a little bit more important earlier in your career because they allow you to get through gates. They help distinguish you from other candidates. But if once you're mid mid to senior tier, um, you know, you don't even have to go get them, honestly, unless you have some DOD requirement. But let me let me, let me let me let me let me let me let me repeat just one second to talk about the gatekeeping part of certs. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that that is still a little bit of social, uh, you know, social influence that they are gatekeeping. There are plenty of examples. There are plenty of examples of people mm -hmm. who have gotten jobs in cybersecurity without some of these staple certs that everybody talks about. Right. We've got I'm sure in your community, I'm sure in my community, I'm sure out there on LinkedIn, there are more than enough examples of that. And so 
I, I don't want people to walk away with the impression that, yes, they're needed early on in your career. Look at it as, you know, you know, they might be a distinguishing factor. They might not be a distinguishing factor. But I think that they're not a requirement to ride this ride if you do some of the other things to get a job in this in this industry. Okay, so to that point, practical skills are king right now yeah. in, in our industry, right? Yeah. So if a cert is a tied to practical skill uh, execution as opposed to uh, exam cram, uh, then they have more value. And I think that that's why we're seeing certain certs uh, kind of be, be positioned as like, this is a good cert because it has practical application. But I will say, you said it's not required to ride the ride. I agree with you 100%. But if you don't have, if you're not networking, if you're like, you know, yeah. you didn't realize you need to network and you're just graduating college or getting out of the military and you're applying blankly to open recs that say SEC plus required or whatever, the, the ATS system is not going, the, the resume review system that goes through for automation is going to flag you as not having it and push you into the trash can, even if you, you know, you, you were a InfoSec officer in the military, right? For, yeah. for lack of a better term. So don't, you know, disagree, don't, disagree, don't disagree with the scenario you painted, but mm -hmm. I think that that is a lack of, I, I don't think that you should play into a flawed system. I think that you should hack your best way into the system. Uh, agreed. Agreed. I mean, okay. So all systems are going to have vulnerabilities, yeah. but in order, if you're going to play the game and the game have these constraints, yeah. you, you, you do yourself, you give yourself an opportunity yeah. to, to maneuver or have access to that. Of course, of course you can get in yeah. through the back door. I mean, there's, there's people without high school degrees yeah. who are quite successful. Um, but, but so just to, you know, as far as certifications go, um, you know, that, I guess that's all of my, my thoughts on, on that. Um, practical skills are absolutely king uh, in, in our current market. So if you're trying, like, if you're out there listening and you're like, do I get the cert? Do I do uh, some labs or do I go back to school or whatever? You know, the, the labs are probably going to have the biggest impact on your opportunity cost or not opportunity cost, your, your opportunity to demonstrate capability and impress a hiring manager in order to get a job. Yeah. And, and again, and, and, and I don't want to, I don't want to come off as seeming to, to overly dump on, on, on certs. Right. Cause I, I do understand everybody's personal value that they put into them. I do understand the ATS. I do understand HR managers and hiring managers don't understand that just because, you know, this cert was valid 10 years ago when they got in the career field doesn't mean that they're fully aware of what the cert market is today. And so like, I'm not trying to downplay any of that. What I'm trying to, what I do want people to get across is like, that's not the only way. And there's actually more effective and more efficient ways to get in than to use your own personal money. See this, and, and this is what, this is when we talk about fighting back against the system. And I don't mean that from like a cyberpunkish kind of way, but if we're wanting to really break down this gatekeeping conversation, you know, we have to stop having an expectation, Jerry, that you pay your maintenance fee right on your CISP. Like your employer should be paying that because your employer is demanding that you be CISP qualified. If your employer is demanding that you be SEC plus certified, your employer should be paying for that. If your employer is demanding that you have any level of certification, your employer should pay for it. I think what has happened is that we've seen prices of certifications get exorbitantly high out of the realm. And you and I've both been in, in high level executive positions at organizations. You know, you get, if you're lucky, $5,000 a head, if you're mm -hmm. lucky, 
to pay for yeah. yeah to pay for training and education for your team and so that immediately right there sets a bar of training that you can't ever get anybody to and so you're left with trying to figure out how do you train a team at less than five thousand dollars a head and that's if your boss doesn't come through and say hey look you're gonna have to figure out which projects you're gonna have to cut because you're over budget and we need you to shave a million off or five hundred thousand off or whatever the case is and the first place that they're gonna look is they're gonna look at your t&e budget and so I'm I'm a proponent for let's change our mindset around certifications and let's change who the responsible party is for certifications. And I don't believe that you should be paying your maintenance fees and I don't believe you should be paying your certifications. Mm, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting topic, uh, but we've got so much so much to talk <laughs> on and, 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 and having all said all that, too. I also would not dump on certifications. Right. Like I have. Like I said at the beginning, I have a CISA, a CISA, yeah. a CISB, a SEC plus, a, a, you know, three or four different healthcare related ones because I was in that space. So I find value in them in that way. Right. And, and another thing that there's value about, uh, I saw a comment in here. Uh, I'll pull it up afterwards. But basically, when you when you put a this one right here. Right. I know it's not a question, but Daniel says he got a cybersecurity professional certificate. Excellent. Okay. So that's probably not going to, whatever it is, it's probably not going to be on a quals for a job, but when you get into the interview, they might say, what, what is this? And it's a talking point. It's something that has impact on your resume. That isn't filler. That is something that you can speak to that talks about what did you do to prepare? How involved was it? What did you get out of it? Right? Like, so th there's, there's, um, ancillary, uh, or, you know, um, not ancillary, like, indirect value from the certificate it's not that you just get a certification and now you can walk through this gate it is there there's there's indirect value to it that you can yeah. um distill out of it like like i just said so yeah that's okay. why that's what, like i said my, my, my statement is always chase the knowledge the cert will come yeah i'm getting i'm getting all frothed up so there's a I really could tell. Good i could tell i love I it know. Well, I, you bring I, it out of me neil you do i do i do this is Jer jerry's stream hi everybody welcome to simply cyber my name yes uh, it's, it's, a very, it's a very highbrow erudite uh, uh, stream. Normally, you dragged me. You dragged me into the the most icely cantina, Neil. That's right. That's right. Bring out. I bring out the hype in you. I bring out yeah. the hype. Uh, okay. So so uh, Elise here had a really good question that I thought was interesting because I actually have a really good. Uh, I have an opinion on this one. So based on what you're seeing and what I'm seeing and what the community is seeing, when you go through a undergraduate program she, she doesn't say undergrad but let's assume undergrad program whether it's computer science or cybersecurity. what gaps are you seeing in general of the higher education curriculum programs uh is this a is this a lead-in where i think you're going to try to take this conversation to no no it just came <laughs> up and it was a good question but yeah we can go there we can go there let me get my war paint on oh let's get, get the war paint on yeah um, all right so 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 I I do not I do not think that graduates are coming into the field adequately armed to solve today's cybersecurity problems. Um, I make no qualms about it. This is one of the, when Jerry in mentions in his intro that we have some like opinions and we have some differing opinions. This is definitely one of our differing opinions. Um, I am I do not approve of higher education whatsoever. Um, I do not think just like certs. <laughs> It's not required to be in the industry whatsoever. I don't think that you having a master's or a PhD makes you any more or less qualified 
at any level of leadership management or or entry level to to do the cybersecurity job whatsoever. And I mm-hmm. think the problem stems from and, and understand that I haven't recently I haven't and when I say recently within the last maybe five years looked at a degree program. But prior to that, um, I was, you know, you know, University of Maryland, University College, um, you know, a lot of the colleges that that I was exposed to in the military when cyber was first being born and then up until about 2016 from a cyber perspective, they were failing miserably, miserably at what they taught for cybersecurity because you've got a bunch of old white fogies, right, who were computer science majors who knew how to program Fortran, who read a Sec Plus book and decided that they were going to write a write a freaking you know course curriculum on um, on cybersecurity and slap a four year degree requirement on it and charge people you know fifty thousand dollars a year you know for their tuition and I hated it because it didn't actually teach anybody anything about cybersecurity whatsoever and I still don't think it does that and so I think that. I don't think that universities can move fast enough to teach real cybersecurity. I would rather them scrap the cybersecurity part of their degree program, add the electives that they can agilely change to a computer science or a software development or a business or, you know, any other degree program, because quite frankly, I think that that's probably more valuable than them trying to spend years developing a cybersecurity program only to have it be outdated by the time a student goes through and takes it. And then you spend four years of your life and everything that you've learned as part of your cybersecurity program. Oh, boy, here it comes. This is my soapbox time right now is complete garbage or even worse yet. You go to some university that does nothing but gets you certs anyway as part of the university program. Like, how is that? solving the function of higher education if we're just going to go to a university and be like hey welcome to university and neil i'm going to go ahead with your tuition money and i'm going to take 35 percent of it and i'm going to buy all these certs for you to take and i'm going to keep the other 65 percent for myself don't think you don't know what's going on right but i'm going to give you a bachelor's degree in computer science because all you're doing is taking these certification programs that are over here and so yeah i think i think higher education is a crock of bs yeah so there are definitely, um, I consider just dropping you and just be like, well, that's it for Neil Bridges today. No. So I, I was I, waiting for it. When the screen got big, I was like, is this where I get disconnected or not? It looks like Neil's having network issues. No. So, okay. So it is a big question and it's, it's really unfair to paint the higher education picture or discussion with a binary brush, right? Because there are schools that are degree mills and there are schools, like I knew a guy, I'm not going to name names or name schools or anything like that, but I knew a guy who got a bachelor's degree in three months, like start to finish. And I'm like, how is that possible? He's like, no, he's like, I just, I just paid. I I gave him a lump sum for the entire course. And I took a like basically an, an exemption exam mm. passed it. And then I got an A in the class and moved on to the next one. And he just ripped through. I'm like, did you like, he's like, well, I don't, I don't need it. I don't, I like it. I don't need to learn anything. Cause I already know it. But like, I'm just thinking, dude, you just cut a huge check. Basically. You just bought a bachelor's degree basically, yeah. because I don't know what the tests were. I didn't look at them, but it really didn't feel like it was qualifyingly validating that this individual had the education you know, to be able to do that. Right. So, so to me, that is a scam. Um, and it's almost like an agreed handshake. Like we're going to give you, like, we've gotten accredited and we're going to put this pants on and we're going to give you a bachelor's degree and you're going to give us a huge check. And it it totally 
skews everything. Now, let's go to the other end of the spectrum where it is a good school, right? It's like, and not everyone can afford this, right? Higher education. Let's just put the money aside because higher sure. education is grossly uh, costly right yes. now. So let's just put that aside. Yeah. A school like Purdue or a school like Dakota State University or Georgia Tech, like some of these programs have really built a great cybersecurity education. And I want to point out all of those and all the other ones that are associated with the NSA. The NSA about maybe, I want to say maybe eight or nine years ago, reached out to all sorts of universities across the United States. And I'm sorry for the international community folks, <laughs> but reached out and, and, and said, this is what we need. This is what you should be doing. Malware analysis, software exploitation, security operations. Like these are the courses that you need to be teaching. And here's the curriculum that you need. And they, and here's some money to get started. And these programs blew up and I was fortunate enough to go through some of them. So what I will say to your point Yes, they don't move as quickly. And higher education, while it does have labs and stuff like that, it's oftentimes on the theory. And then you can build on your theory when you enter market on the principles and practices and directions you should be running. And that's, to me, where the value is. Now, I, what? final well, thing. Okay, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Final thing. Final thing. I have a master's in information assurance and a PhD in cyber ops. The PhD in cyber ops, it, it opened a lot of doors for me, but from a pure execution of capability perspective and opportunity for money and compensation jobs and stuff like that, that it didn't really do anything. The master's degree opened more doors, if you will, for me than the PhD, but the PhD is something that I wanted. Yeah. I wanted that challenge uh, as a personal goal. Can I do this? Do I love this field that much to commit five years, you know, in a lot of sacrifice, frankly, to do it. Okay. So Neil, back yeah. to you. And, and, and that's, and, and I, and I don't want to take anything away from the personal achievement of doing a PhD. I'm super proud of you for doing it. Just like anybody else who says that they've done it, but I want to go back to talking about opening doors because I want to challenge you a little bit on that one. I have not seen, and maybe, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not in the, the same circles you are, which is entirely possible, but we do not have the specializations in cybersecurity like we do in the medical field, like we do in legal, like we do in accounting, where there is a gross difference between what you know at the bachelor's level, what you know at the master's level, what you know at the PhD level. There is mm -hmm. nobody who's saying, I'm going to hire a CISO and they must have a PhD because there's something that you explicitly learn in a PhD program about that theory that makes you uniquely qualified to be a CISO. Yeah. And I think that that's the challenge that I push back is that we're not to that point yet in cyber. Yeah. So what I would say to that is the, the degree does not give you some uh, nuanced specific skill that, you know, like tort law, right? Like right. You, you, you either study tort law and you can do it or you don't. Right. What I would say is in my experience and from the people I know that have these degrees, what you end up getting is it, you get a broad exposure to like how it's supposed to be done across everything. So like, I've never done professional pen testing, but I know, like, I know, you know, web app uh, exploitation and I know how to write exploit code and I know how to like disassemble code and look at it. You know what I mean? Like, like I've never done it professionally, but I have the skills. And while I'll never use those skills professionally, I, I believe, understanding what it is makes me better at my actual job because I understand like basically the whole scope of, of, 
the industry, frankly, and the different roles and how they all interrelate with each other instead of being really sharp and, and pointed in one skill and having little visibility in the other skills. You know, and, and that's that's to me what the value is. It gives you that exposure in a controlled, appropriate way. But what I will say is if we just piggyback on that example about mm -hmm. the, the malware, develop, you know, malware development, exploit development type of analogy, right? That's not unique to university. That's not unique to a PhD program. We just got done talking about certification programs. Listen, we're on YouTube right now. And, and this is one of the things I tell, um, I, I tell folks all the time, right, is, you know, the, the school of YouTube has got some PhD equivalent type of stuff. All the stuff yeah. that you're talking about, you can get very, very good malware analysis education from YouTube. You're not getting what you might be getting to the tort law example that you used is a tenured professor who actually executed against that who can tell you their life stories about it and i don't see that level of instruction happening in the the majority the 80 percent of the universities that are out there where they've got malware analysis being tenured professors in the universities actually teaching malware development in the university i think that's still the difference is there's a mismatch between your expectation of learning knowledge in a university versus what you could potentially get i hate to say it on youtube and it's and i think that that mismatch is what creates the the lack of value for me when when it comes mm -hmm. to advocating the the degree programs yeah 100 percent. i would agree with you that youtube uh and other platforms but youtube you know specifically does have access to let's say 80 percent of the education that you could get part of the challenge is and you see this with people who are new to the field uh what, I wanna, well yeah i want to work in cybersecurity. well what do you want to yeah. do yeah. i don't know like what, what what are the options like even though the content is there and it's readily at your fingertips if you don't know what the structure the curriculum yep. or the approach or what to do first before second and how to execute on it and, th and that's another thing that you get from uh, a higher ed program i mean not to beat a dead horse i mean yeah we, yeah. we both have our positions yeah. and but i do agree right, i agree with you, know. you on the structure i agree with you wholeheartedly on the structure there's a lot of people out there who need the roadmap to mm -hmm. to get things done i'm i'm hope i'm working on something that i'm hoping will solve that yeah i like it that'd be cool yeah. uh, i'm working on a grc course that i really i really <laughs> need to I, like my community the simply cyber community they, i get a lot of dms like bro where are we with this grc thing and i'm like oh, God, i'm so sorry it's, it's so still sorry. up here it's still up here it's all good it's not going yeah. anywhere <laughs> well 60 percent of it's down down on paper but the you know you can't just deploy a half a half ass uh you know i guess that's my one swear word for the stream but... <laughs> Ooh, do i get so, one can i pick mine <laughs> yeah so uh, just kind of uh, jumping topics here chris asked you know what what makes you want to spend so much time helping out newbies you know we we do a lot neil you do a lot with cyber insecurity you do an ama every friday where it's basically like if you got a question answer it what what makes you do that what motivates you um i don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love to the point we talk about the lack of structure in the degree programs, the, the lack of structure to the content on YouTube, to the lack of where do I get started to lack of how does, how does this function in cyber work? I, it, when we talk about answering questions, just to put this in perspective for everybody who's wondering, it's literally everything from how do I get into cyber to Neil, how does the C-suite look at this business decision? How do you justify the expenditure of EDR, right? Um, it's it's literally everything to my weight loss journey, to NFTs, to 
you know, you name it, we talk about everything. And it, it actually really is amazing to see the people who just want somebody to talk to like you or I, who's been in this industry as long as we have. And they feel, and I hate that we've given this impression to people and, and, uh, you know, I know where it comes from. This is why we're very anti, you know, anti try harder on, on our stream is because like, there are people who legitimately believe Jerry, that what you and I do is magic, right? <laughs> they believe that we are, we sit on a, a, a golden throne in the world of cybersecurity. And, you know, they are, they, they feel like what we do is just incredible magic. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I didn't realize until I started doing it. And so I started doing the AMAs that people are just grateful to have somebody to ask real questions to be like, Hey, can you tell me what cyber's really like? Hey, mm -hmm. can you tell me what burnout is really like? Hey, I heard that I should really do this. You know, can we, can, can this really happen in cybersecurity? Right. And so I think that like, I, I, I've found, I found joy in and that's a tagline of our stream right is demystifying cybersecurity. i have really found joy in telling the hard truths about our industry good bad or ugly um and demystifying what people think is is you know the, this magic stuff that it is that we do and that's actually what i what i enjoy you know doing is breaking those norms and, and demystifying that for people and so what what makes me want to do it um, the, the hundreds of DMS that I get that, that tell me, Neil, I got a job, you know, yep. thanks to, to your content, you know, thanks for looking at my resume live on stream. Thanks for, you know, uh, we, we hang out in sub chat. I know Jerry, you've hung out in sub chat with us before, you know, mm -hmm. uh, on our stream. Hey, I, I literally will be in sub chat and somebody will come in and ask me a question and then I'll get a comment or a DM, you know, a few days later is like, Hey, I got that job or, you know, this thing helped me out so much. I literally got a message from somebody as we were coming on stream that I actually hadn't seen in the community for quite a while, which is not uncommon. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he was like, Hey, you know, about six months ago, you reviewed my resume on stream. You give me this feedback on how to reword my, um, my military experience. I want to let you know that I got my, my first job in, in cybersecurity now, thanks to your, your resume advice. And I've been getting recruiters call me left and right. Right. Nice. And so like, it's, it's, it is, it's knowing, and I'm sure you understand this. I'm sure you get this as well with what you do with Simply Cyber. It's knowing that we're having an impact on people's careers, whether they're just coming into the space, whether they've been in the space for, for, for 10 or 15 or 20 years. You know, even if we can help them a little bit or a lot of it, um, it is honestly that feeling that fuels my ability to get in front of this camera and produce content. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that you, you've indirectly said, but I feel it, and Jess Bishop, who I know is in chat right now, she said it on LinkedIn or, or Discord somewhere recently. She said that Simply Cyber Discord server is inclusive. And and I know cyber insecurity is too. Like, literally, there there is places that you can go on the internet where if you ask, hey, like, what is like something basic, like what is the difference between authentication and authorization? And people, instead of answering your question, will just light you up and all of yeah. all of all of these people will line up together and just yeah. bully you. Yeah. And it sucks because like, you know, it, 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 it makes the person not want to ask again. Yes. It pushes them down and the, the communities that we have, and there's other communities, it's not like yeah. we're special or anything, yeah. but, but it's a place of inclusion. It's a pay, it's a place of support and, and you know, community, frankly. Yeah. And, and cause you want to see everybody succeed. Nothing's better. Like we just had two, two of my mods, uh, Tom and base both just got jobs recently in the industry 
And it was like, it was like fireworks. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? Like everybody was loving it. And, yeah. and again, good on those guys. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's, you know, no one asked me what motivates me, but, <laughs> but, but I just, just like, like building a community that is, uh, it's got its own identity now, frankly, it's, yeah. it's beyond me at this point, but, yeah. but it's a, it's a safe place. It's included. And, and I feel like, you know, I, I feel like, you know, we, we set those boundaries at the beginning, like this is what it's going to be. Yeah. And, and, you know, and then walked the walk and, and talk the talk, like, you know, the tone at the top, like any other business or organization, whether it's a YouTube cyber community or a fortune 500, whoever sets the tone of what's appropriate and, you know, will be tolerated will permeate through the entire group. And um, yeah. So I want to, I, I want to talk, I want to talk about that inclusivity and um, just a, a tad bit, because I mm -hmm. think, um, you know, I'm, I'm former military. I know that we've got a ton of former military between both of our communities and they're at, that are out there and there's the broader cyber ecosphere. And, and we talk about that, that sense of community a lot um, in cybersecurity. Cybersecurity is a small, small industry. It may mm -hmm. feel big at times, but but a lot of us all know each other, either bumping into each other on live streams or collaborating on other projects or working with or for people in the industry. And so a lot of us know each other on some very, very personal levels. And, and one of the things that we have failed at, Jerry, I, keep me honest on this one. One of the things that we have failed at as an industry is being inclusive of people who are not in cyber. And, I, and we inherited this from the IT folks who every time mm -hmm. a user calls up about a printer issue, we're like, stupid users, right? Or every time somebody calls up with a password issue, stupid users. Every time somebody gets a victim of a phishing email, stupid users, right? Mm -hmm. And so we've we've inherited naturally, for, for right or wrong, right? it's definitely, it's obviously for wrong, this incredibly toxic mentality to people outside of cyber and outside of IT. We've brought that with us inside of cybersecurity. And so I think to be more effective in the C-suite, to be more effective in organizations, to be more effective in, in the business side of things, to actually enable the business to take the risks that they need to to be successful, we have got to shift that mentality away from being toxic on our views of cybersecurity, and we've got to be more inclusive. And I think that that starts with creating communities like this where you have an inclusive mentality because as, as folks from these communities grow up to be super awesome cybersecurity folks, they're going to take that inclusivity you know, feeling with them into their companies. And I think that's when we'll start to see changes in organizations, to their cybersecurity posture. I agree absolutely about the, um, the, you know, stupid users, the, the IT kind of, um, you know, mentality of, you know, like, ugh, like if I, I've, I've actually heard sysadmin say like, if I didn't have any users, <laughs> like my environment would be fine. So, <laughs> So I'm 100% with you, but I would argue that there has been a transition, and I don't know if it's because I run my own program now or yeah. because I have you know GRC skills, um, so I, I interface with business more. But I would argue that there has been a transition the last maybe three years, and it's getting progressively more. And I believe that that transition is because the massive adoption of technology and the utility of like of mobile phones is like a is like a core thing of everybody. So like your end user, your end user. Now isn't, you know, Carl who uses one of those like check printing machines that does this thing, right? It's, it's, it's Carl with, uh, with a mobile phone who understands a pin lock and understands yeah. that their, their account got hacked, you know, their, their capital one account got hacked. Yeah. Right. So like, so, so I feel like, you know, I guess we're in the golden age because like cybersecurity, it's gone from like a cool little sexy magic thing 
on a Hollywood big screen to front page news, mainstream media, you know, terminology is becoming more commonplace uh, with, with that end user community. So, so you're able to have a little bit more of an actual conversation with them instead of like, damn it, Carl, like I told (laughs) you not to write your password down on a sticky note. You know what I'm saying? So like, so I don't know if that's bridging the gap and I don't know if you've seen anything like that, but I do feel I'm speculating, right. That that's the reason why, but it's, it seems like an obvious reason. I think, I think you're right in the sense that, that we are, we are starting to see a, a generation that is growing up with technology. Now, I think what that does is I think that that comes with its own sets of pros and cons. I would argue that the cons with that is most people used this device as a babysitter for their kids, you know, when they were, you know, four, five, six, you know, something like that. And that has turned into, um, you know, they, they have had unfettered access to technology since they were, they were, you know, a child and adolescence. And they don't understand cybersecurity because they didn't grow up with cybersecurity. They grew up with their pen code being one, two, three, four. They grew up with their password to their Instagram accounts being password one, two, three, right? And things mm-hmm. like that. And they weren't taught cybersecurity fundamentals. And so I think that, yes, while we have a more tech savvy generation coming up, into the the business and into the IT space, what is coming up with that is a ton of bad habits. Mm-hmm. Well, and Zoltan actually brings up a really good point. I'm glad this came up. Think about it from the other perspective of the end user and their angst against us. Yep. We require multi-factor authentication. Yep. We won't let you use generic accounts for the entire yep. like consulting team that's only here for three weeks for a project. Right. Well, you know, the consulting team has got their fingers on our ERP. So how about we don't give them a generic accounts, Carl? Like Carl's everywhere, right? So, I, I could tell. I could tell. We got to have a conversation with Carl. Yeah, yeah. No, no. Carl shows up a lot in the morning threat briefings. It's usually <laughs> Carl's fault. Uh, but but anyways, so this is another good point. Um, and, and this is solved in a different way, I would argue, when security's in the way. You have political capital that you earn through doing certain good things for the community, uh, your user community. And then sometimes you have to spend them when you introduce some some challenge to them. And hopefully you can explain to them why you're making them do multi-factor authentication. This, we can, let me, let me piggyback on that comment really quick though, really quick, because I, I do think that we, you know, we have been the organization of no for so long. To your point, can I have generic accounts? No. Can I have one password for all my accounts? No. Right. We've been the we've been the we've been the organization of no for a long time. I had a CISO, um, awesome CISO that I worked for a number of years ago. Um, and uh, I'll, I'll tell a story. I may have some people on my um, uh, on my stream have probably heard me tell this story before. Um, he was like he brought me and his, he brought me and the chief architect into his office one day. And he was like um, he was like, so, guys, I want to I want to I wanna hire you to be my protection detail. Um, I want you to go out and build me an armored car. Um, you know, make it the best armored car in the world. I want you guys to, to protect my armored car and protect me as I drive around my armored car. And so we played out this little role play game with him. And, uh, and, and he said, okay, now in my armored car that you just built me, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go to the South side of Chicago. And me and the chief architect looked at each other. Cause I was running sec ops at the time and he was chief architect. And we look at each other. We were like, we're not taking you to the South side of Chicago. That's, that's dumb. Like that's mm-hmm. just dumb. We don't, we're not going to do that. And he was like, see, that's the problem. Cybersecurity is telling people no you built me an armored car you built me something secure but you won't let me take risk if it mm-hmm. is for my business and i need to be in the south side of chicago for our business to grow and expand because there's cheap labor cheap materials promising market whatever the case is down there cybersecurity's mantra should be to enable the business to take risk 
And I think that that's where we've missed the mark on our conversation is that we build these awesome, cool security things. And then the business says, cool, I'm going to go take some risk in a new market space. And we're like, no, don't do that because we're going to get hacked. And then the question is like, well, hold on. I know I'm going to get shot at when I go to the south side of Chicago. Didn't you just build me an armored car that was going to you know, do that? Didn't you just like plan my escape route so that we can get out of there when we start getting shot at and things like that? And I think that that's where we've messed up is we want everybody to invest in us and pay for new toys and, and, and new processes and new people and things like that. And then when the business wants to take risk, we come in and say no, and we lose them. We lose the business at that point. Yeah, I mean, if that's the way it's still happening, that that is sad. I mean, what what I would say is what typically happens is if you're given the money and you're given the time to build the armored car in this case, yeah, then and you know that it's going to go to the south side of Chicago. So you look at like what are the what are the threats in the south side of Chicago, right? Do they have do they have um, you know rumble strips that are going to pop your tires? Well, then we need you know uh, bulletproof tires. Is it you know are they going to drop in on the windows? Right. So so you you build a, a security program or an armored car that matches uh, or, or or it addresses the threats that are coming to you. The problem the problem that I see, Neil, and I'm I'm almost dumbfounded when you started talking about this armored car situation is that the executives typically just march into Chicago <laughs> without even mentioning to you that they need an armored car. They're just like, yeah, we've got yeah. an opportunity. Dude. And it's that, like, dude, that, like, that I does happen. You, yeah. I want to build you a car. Just ask me. <laughs> I went to school for a million years so I could build you a car. That, that, that also does happen. Yes, that does happen. I guess, I guess the analogy works really well in organizations that have been told that they must build the armored car. Um, mm-hmm. Cause I think, I think that's a trend that we're starting to see. Um, when I talk to boards, when I talk to private equity companies, when I talk to investors, they're becoming very, very savvy on saying, you will be SOC 2 compliant. You will be NIST compliant. You will have a SOC team. You will have an incident response team. You'll be doing annual penetration testing. You'll be doing all these things that they've now heard about for the last five or six years. Like I think, I think businesses are getting more savvy in that. And yes, what you described definitely still does happen, but I think it's probably more of a 50-50 split between what you're talking about and businesses who say, okay, fine, fine. The board wants me to have an armored car before I go to the south side of Chicago. Tire a CISO, build me an armored car, and let's go to the south side of Chicago when you build the armored car. I think that that's, that's becoming more and more you know, commonplace. Yeah, well, I had a list of uh, hot takes that, you know, like the higher ed PhD versus no education was was a hot take that I knew we would have disagreements on. Uh, I, I, you know, it's almost 530. And, wow. uh, so has it, has it been an hour already? Wow. Yeah, yeah. And I really do appreciate it. we've been hovering at 100 people uh, joining us today on this live stream. And it's been absolutely fantastic. I, I love it. So we won't be able to get into like a deep discussion on this, but you're talking about the board saying that you need an armored car. And I really like this armored car example now. Uh, talking about You can the board. use it. I'll, I'll, I'll license it to you. Oh my God, bro. All right. So, <laughs> so listen to me. Listen to me. The, the Neil Bridges armored, armored car. Um, I, I, I believe, you know, I, I used to think that the board was saying you need an armored car. You need to invest in security because they were hearing about ransomware in the news. I now believe that cybersecurity insurance, and I'll this is a hill I'll die on, cybersecurity insurance is driving businesses to invest in security because the CFO is getting an invoice for 4X, 6X, 8X of their insurance premium. And the board has told them you need 
you need insurance, right? That's yeah. how you that's how you combat ransomware as far as the board's concerned. Yeah. That's what you do. And when the policy costs 8x from what you budgeted because of last year's yeah. numbers, yeah. they say, well, how the hell is this happening? What do I do? And the insurance company says, well, just put in PAM, MFA, yep. um, SIM, you know, like DLP, which they wouldn't say that. But any, anyways, so what are your takes on cybersecurity insurance? And then we're going to wrap up. I hate this conversation. I, I hate this conversation because I do. Well, it, I, I enjoyed it. So it was nice talking with you. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 I, I get it. Yeah, you hate yeah. the topic. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. Do, I do because, because it, you're right. And, and somebody B sec will have to clip that one and, and, and save that one for later where I'm actually openly admitting that you're right, Jerry. Um, no. Oh, I thought you meant clip. Like when you said, I hate this conversation while staring right at me. No, 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 so no, 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 no. I had to admit that I, that you were right. That's what I Oh hate. yeah. Uh, Everybody <laughs> clip that. Tom, yeah, base, yeah. B sec, Josh, clip yeah, it, clip it. Yeah. Um, Here's you're right because insurance is a terminology that the board recognizes, right? They recognize it from their business resiliency, from their disaster recovery plans. They recognize it from their home automation and their home insurance, right? It's it's a term that they recognize. And and when cyber insurance started, you know, cyber insurers didn't understand how to do pricing because you're you're missing a key component in the cyber insurance conversation, which is the likelihood of a cyber attack. And so they started to go out and source to a bunch of these consulting firms, <coughs> big four, <coughs> big four, um, you know, where, um, you know, they're like, hey, how do we determine likelihood of a cyber incident, you know, occurring at a company or a cyber outage or a ransomware or something like that happening at a company? And that's where you get into, oh, well, if they have PAM, if they have DLP, if they have EDR, if they've got email gateways, if they got CASBs, then the likelihood goes down. And they built those models into their cyber insurance, um, uh, you know, you know, pricing models. And I've I've been in those rooms where I've had to pitch uh, our cyber protection model to a room full of underwriters to try to convince them that we had good cyber protection, so that we wouldn't get charged out the the yin yang for for our for our cyber insurance premiums. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. they don't know anything. They don't know anything about cyber. They truly are just listening for, do you have an IR team? Do you have EDR? Yeah. Do you have DLP? Do you have CASB? Right? And if you have all of those things, they're like, cool, you've got a lower premium because your likelihood has gone down of a cyber attack. And, and that, that incredibly simple way of figuring out how cyber insurance premiums does, I think has overly simplified the armored car analogy. Because, yeah, well, they don't yeah. ask. They don't ask if. So okay, you have multi-factor authentication. Awesome. They don't ask if it's turned on or what user accounts have it. So you have multi-factor, but it's on nobody's account. You have a SIM, but no logs are going into it. Yeah. Right. Like they don't ask that question. They ask basically, do you have appliances? Yeah. Not are are they still in a box on the on the server room floor? They don't ask that. Yeah. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. It's. And, and, I, and I, think, I think it sets a dangerous precedence. This is why I hate the cyber insurance conversation is because, um, you know, I've had, I've had CEOs and CFOs come to me and say, Neil, should we buy cyber insurance? And I cringe because I know what they want to hear is a simple yes or no. Mm -hmm. and, and the answer isn't a simple yes or no, right? Because then they, if you tell them yes, they go out and buy cyber insurance and they think they have to do nothing else. They have to do nothing else for yeah. cybersecurity whatsoever because they've got cyber insurance. They're protected. It's a risk. It's a risk diversion. It's a risk catch-all bucket on their side that they they feel like they don't have to do anything else for. And so, 
I, I, I've written about, uh, you can go to my, my LinkedIn, you can see an article that I wrote about cyber insurance a number of years ago after I sat with, um, with Aon and um, who's the other London big, uh, cyber, big insurer? Beasley? No, Beasley? no, no. The one that has like the big uh, cyber punkish looking building in London. God, I can't remember their name. Um, but anyway, sat with, sat with those guys and, uh, and I came back and my mind was blown as to how flawed the cyber insurance market was. Yeah, they, they definitely don't have practitioners uh, informing them. Uh, it, it would seem they're just basing it on like this place got hacked and we paid a policy. Let's ask them what their security posture was. And, and yeah. that's what they're doing. Yeah. So we're a couple minutes over time, but I do want to tease something that uh, was teased on Neil's stream yesterday and teased on First Things First this morning, my, my threat briefing show. If you guys are interested, if you enjoyed the conversation with this gentleman right here and this guy right here, Tomorrow morning, this is kind of a one-off renegade broadcast. Tomorrow morning at 8.30, Neil and I are going to be going through Sands' 20 coolest careers. They, they listed 20, made a big poster of it. We're going to go through all 20 in probably half an hour or less. It's going to be rapid fire. Neil will take half. I'll take half. We might, we might reserve uh, yeah. two opportunities, two flags to dispute what the person just said. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to run through, tell you what the job is, tell you what's awesome about it, and tell you what sucks about it. So you can be better informed on all of the different opportunities. Everything isn't just about pen testing in the information security space. There are a ton of roles, and we're going to cover all 20, well, at least 20 of them. Uh, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we can get through all 20 of them. I like it. I, I love the idea. I'm super, I'm super grateful that you asked me to come and do that, by the way. And, and yeah. for those who are wondering, this is obviously this, I talked about this last night. This is going to take the place of tea with a hacker tomorrow. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm actually enjoyed, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful, Jerry, I'll get to share my tea with you. And I think you're going to have some coffee in the morning. So oh, uh, gotta have coffee, yeah, gotta have yeah. coffee. I'll, I'll bring the tea and everything, but no, I, I'm looking forward to this. I think it's gonna be fine. I think it's gonna be fine. What's your, Oh God. What do you think is the most undervalued cyber? Don't look at the list. Don't look at the 20. What do you think is the most underrated cybersecurity job out there right now? What's your criteria? Like, like has the biggest impact on a program, but nobody knows it. Yeah. Or it's the yeah let's go with that one. Oh, geez. Um, Oh, you kind of caught me off guard. Uh, Boom. And that's how we do it in cybersecurity right there, well, baby. Yeah, I know. But the thing is, Neil, you got to understand like I analyze, I analyze everything. So now you, you, when you ask me a question of an extreme, what is the most? That's right. Now I have to go through all of the jobs <laughs> and begin evaluating them. Audience, I, audience, this is what a buffer overflow looks like right here. We, really have now, we have now exploited Jerry. Yeah, you really have. Um, <laughs> you know, you know what I would say? It's getting a little bit more pronounced and I don't even know if you would consider it a cybersecurity role, but identity and access management engineer yeah. is like so important right now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't know how to do it. Uh, I think that that's one because zero trust that. architecture to throw a word out. Like the identity is the most important thing to protect now. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who don't know how to do it. Right. And you, you know, you'll just spend 500 grand on sale point yeah. and throw it at it. And then yeah. it's not configured. Right. So, well, and retrofitting an existing organization's a poorly, you know, designed identity and trying to retrofit it into an existing, uh, a new solution is incredibly yeah. laborious and usually doesn't work. So that's yeah. my answer. I'd, I'd, I'd buy off on that one. I'd buy off on that yeah. one for sure. Um, BSEC wants us to talk about NFTs before we leave. 
Uh, all right. Uh, we got a couple minutes, but I, I really have a hard stop. I've got some. No, 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 no. We'll do it tomorrow. We're, I'm going to, I'm going to pick you up. We're going to talk about NFTs in the morning. Yeah, we do need to do NFTs. All right. So everybody, you know, like I said, it was going to be a slightly different stream today. Uh, I think, I think that's exactly what we delivered. I loved the conversation, Neil. Thank you for coming on simply cyber community and cyber and security community. I know you sent uh, a, a blast on your discord and a bunch of people came over uh, so, you know, really much, much appreciation to all of you. Great questions. I know we couldn't get to all of them, but thank you, everybody. And we'll see you tomorrow at 8 a.m. for the threat briefing and 8.30 for the SANS 20 cybersecurity controls. All right. Thanks so much.